Guys, welcome, guys and gals, welcome back to the channel. Uh, my name is Zach. I'm your host with 4.0 Solutions. We go live here every week at Tuesday and noon central. So make sure to subscribe to this channel if you're interested in Industry 4.0, IIoT, digital transformation, industrial Internet of Things. That's what we talk about here. Today, we've got a presentation getting started with the unified namespace. This one's going to be featuring our sponsor for the month of November, which we're closing out this uh, today, actually. Uh, HiveMQ. So make sure to thank HiveMQ for sponsoring this live stream. Uh, we, I really do, you know, we, we couldn't do this without the support and help of our sponsors, as well as the, the support from the community. Uh, the Industry 4.0 Community Discord server just reached 3,000 members uh, just after Thanksgiving. So that's an amazing milestone. Um, there's a link below to join the Discord server. There's a lot of great smart engineers, guys, gals, everyone in between. So make sure to join that community discord server and get get involved. If you guys are a regular viewer of this channel, um, you know, it's awesome to have you guys here every week at the live stream. So let us know where you guys are joining from. Uh, Jeff, welcome from Pennsylvania. Um, so Jeff is an uh, instructor at Penn State College. And uh, when he's teaching, he sometimes will recast our stream to his uh, to his students. Um, they're working on developing their industry 4.0 curriculum. And so that's, you know, that's, that's where we come in. You know, our mission is to help save and create jobs in the United States by helping educate and helping manufacturers do more with less. And we couldn't do that without you guys and without the help of our partners. Welcome, Michael from Guarataro uh, in Mexico. Anibal, welcome from Minneapolis. Hey, Mike, good evening. So um, yeah, today we're going to be building a unified namespace. I'm actually going to, um, I'm going to be you guys probably heard in the sponsor, you know, videos this month, you know, HiveMQ is a sponsor and they have a free 100, you know, you can connect up to 100 devices free to their MQTT cloud. I'm going to actually do that live today at the end of the stream. So make sure to stay tuned to the end to watch that. Um, I'll even share the credentials. So anyone who's following along can open up MQTT Explorer, open up an ignition gateway or frameworks uh, uh, instance and connect to the broker, right? I don't think we'll, we'll we shouldn't have over 100 people connect to it. So, but if we do, we'll hit the limits, and uh, hopefully, the HiveMQ doesn't send us a bill. But you can actually get started with the HiveMQ cluster, um, their cloud cluster, for free without even a credit card. So, I'm gonna I'm gonna walk through that process. Uh, but just in a, just a few minutes here, we're gonna get started. We're gonna go, do a high level overview of you know what the unified namespace is, what to look for, and even a, do a little bit of a architecture what your unified namespace architecture could look like. And then, um, then I'm going to do a live demo of setting up the cloud, you know, HiveMQ cloud cluster. Hey, Cheryl, good morning from Arizona. Hey, Alan from Tijuana. Hey, Anders from Melbourne, Norway. Yeah. So from all over the world, thank you guys so much for joining. Make sure to hit that like button. It helps really helps out the channel, helps get this content out to more people, share it with a friend. Um, and let's get started. Oh, a quick side note. This week is really, um, um, Walker's actually in a dental surgery this week. He was supposed to be back today, but he's actually getting some dentistry work done today. So we should be back next week. Um, so stay tuned for that. And, um, but he's going to be available Thursday. Thursday, we're doing an interview with Sandy Monroe. So um, that's going to be really exciting. Sandy Monroe from Monroe and Associates. They are a lean design consultant. Sandy has a background in um, from Ford, working at Ford, working up through the ranks, like, and he saw the the manufacturing exodus in the auto industry, and you know we're we're at a very similar point in time, and so his you know his mission is to help manufacturers do more with less. So there should be a lot of synergy, um, and Sandy's a little rough around the edges, you know. He says uh, at Monroe shift happens, <laughs> like uh, when talking about paradigm shifts. So it's pretty cool. I'm really looking forward to that interview. So. Um, yeah, stay tuned for that. <laughs> Will there be fireworks with that interview? Uh, there should be, uh, yeah. I mean, if the, in the conversation, there definitely will be fireworks. I don't know if we have, um, actual fireworks, but, uh, yeah, actually the month of December is going to be, well, we could talk about that in a second, but, uh, it's going to be pretty exciting content coming in December. So, um, yeah, the interviews, the interview with Sandy is just one of them. Uh, so this is a, a slide actually that's kind of like a high level overview of the unified namespace. 
And if you guys have any questions, please feel free to leave them in the chat as we go through this. Um, quick shout out to John McKeon. John McKeon was on the live Q&A last week. A lot of you guys did see that episode. So, um, you know, make sure to watch that if you haven't already. I'll leave a card in the corner or link in the description. But um, they actually helped us develop like these. They did the graphic design on these slides. And so we, we still leverage that. Uh, so thank you, uh, GIS, for doing that. But, um, you know, essentially, this is a unified namespace at a high level. And you can see that over on the left, you have all these different edge devices and connecting different systems, historian, Delta V, your plant floor, factory production equipment, corporate machine learning and AI initiatives, building management, site level SCADA systems, corporate wide serialization platform. Over on the right, you have site MES, digital twin, etc. So this kind of visualizes it um, in a fancier way than than just uh, in the next slide, you'll see one that I actually created. It's like something we haven't shown before. So, um, but we do like to we do like to show this slide. And um, over here on the right, you'll see this is a typical structure for uh, enterprise unified namespace. We like to model it in ISA ninety five format. So, what is that ISA ninety five? I think it's part two. Um, essentially, it's enterprise site area line cell. So you can see here's enterprise. I don't know if you guys can see that. Let me make it a little bigger. Enterprise site area line cell. So within this within this structure, you have the ability to model your whole entire enterprise from the enterprise down to multiple sites. So here you could have site one. There could be site two, area one, area two. Areas can also be capabilities, right? So area could be an area could be your, um, you know, it could be your um, packaging area. It, it could be if you're doing an automotive, it could be, you know, your um, paint area, right? Your paint painting line, your painting area. And then within the painting area, you have multiple painting lines, right? Line one, line two, et cetera, um, but also site. An area could be literally your ERP. Within ERP, you have multiple lines or multiple capabilities or feature sets within that within that area. So it's not just limited to enterprise site area line cell, right? Let me let me take it from the top here. Enterprise site area line cell, right? That's the standard format, but you can you can use these. Uh, to, to structure your, your enterprise, not just, you know, not just the equipment that's on the plant floor, but the people within your organization, the layers within your business. That's how you can use this, uh, ISA 94, five, ISA 95 format to model your entire enterprise. Mike asked is digital twin mostly for failover? So that's a good question. It kind of depends on what you mean by digital twin. I'll go with what what our definition of is it of it is. Uh, digital twin is like a snapshot, and it's typically used for modeling, uh, not data modeling, but simulation modeling. Right? If I add another line, what what could my production be? Or, you know, what if what if scenarios? Right. Uh, could be 3D modeling, could be just in, um, process modeling, but it's typically like a snapshot or a series of snapshots. Uh, it could get its data from the UNS. It could get live data from the UNS, but digital twin. I mean, uh, Russ uh, Russ Waddell would say, you know, the problem with digital twin is that it's mostly a marketing term, and and everyone has a different use for it, and it doesn't really say what you're trying to do with it, right? So. We don't really talk about that that much on this video or on this channel because just because of that fact. All right, so moving on. Um, and here's how here's how you would essentially scale the UNS to multiple facilities, right? Using an MQTT broker like HiveMQ or you know, there's other ones, uh, NanoMQ, um, EMQX. Uh, link skate a uh, link broker but essentially what this is showing is you can have site level brokers 
right? So let's pretend this is your factory one and this is your factory two or factory N. At the site level, you have your own unified namespace ecosystem that connects to all the layers in your business. What are these different layers here? Let's zoom in a little bit more. So this is our manufacturing workflow. If you've seen um, the you know IIoT Industry 4.0 rant, Walker talks about this manufacturing workflow, but essentially every business operates this way. It doesn't matter what you make. Uh, could be even in process industry, could be similar similar workflow does it doesn't necessarily need to be discrete manufacturing but that's what we're you know most what we talk about most here could be oil and gas could be um we're talking with a customer right now that's getting ready to do a digital transformation and you know we're talking to them about doing a digital transformation maturity assessment they do they build um recycled oil plants for customers in europe right they 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 literally build it and turnkey and hand over the keys of a hundred plus million dollar facility that takes, um, I don't know exactly, that's just an estimate, but these, you know, they, they literally build it from the ground up and include, and, and, you know, they're typically building an industry 3.0 method where it's a lot of manual processes to manage the, the refining of like cooking oil or other types of recycled oil into finished product, like diesel, you know, biofuel, et cetera. But essentially, they still have these layers in their business, right? They have a CRM, which is what they use to manage their customers and sell the product that they make. They have an enterprise resource planning system where they plan to make that stuff, right? They keep track of their inventory. They keep track of their work in progress. They keep track of, you know, sometimes shipping is in there, but, um, but that comes in later in the workflow. Once they plan it, then they execute the manufacturing. In this industry 3.0 example, that would be on paper, right? It'd be on Excel spreadsheet. It would be on your scheduler. Who's the most Who's the most busiest person at a in a manufacturing facility? It's your scheduler, right? If if you're a manufacturer and your scheduler got hit by a bus, how many of you guys would be screwed, or guys or gals or companies would be screwed if you know the algorithm that's in your scheduler's head? is only in the scheduler's head, right? It's it's pretty common stuff out there. I mean, maybe you have more than one scheduler, but you know, that's that's the typically where the IT layer, ERP and CRM meets the OT layer, right? SCADA, your plant floor. But in industry 4.0, this is, you know, all connected in the same ecosystem. So, you're having a digital MES with real-time data. But essentially that's your MES layer, execute the manufacturing. Then you use SCADA to monitor and control your plant. You use PLC and HMIs to monitor and control your equipment at the machine level. This is like the line or the cell level. Then once you've finished the production, you use, you know, a warehouse, you, you put it into the warehouse. Um, sometimes this is just <laughs> spreadsheet. Sometimes it's just, hey, you know, this order is done. Let me go tell the sales guy or whatever. Like it's sometimes this is just paper. Sometimes it's in the ERP. Sometimes it's standalone. But you use your warehouse management system to inventory your stuff, then you ship it, then you use accounts receivable, accounts payable layer in your business to invoice for stuff and order new materials for new for new stuff. Then you call it, then it goes back to the to the sell side again, right? And then it happens all over again. So so essentially many businesses are operating their business units are operating pretty much standalone, right? They may have a corporate product number, right? They may have a corporate billing, right? They may have a corporate, um, would be a common one, like a corporate uh, SAP system, or they may have a corporate like um, Oracle. Oracle is a pretty common corporate system. But at the plant, at the plant layer, the corporate stuff's not integrated with the local stuff, right? They may have a local Wonderware SCADA. And so the plant operator literally is having, you know, the enterprise IT computer like they have two computers, the enterprise computer where they have the SAP or the Oracle system. And then they have the, you know, the local or the plant computer on the plant network to do their SCADA, their MES stuff, right? And the, and the clipboard in between. So how do you get to enterprise system? How do you get to enterprise solution? Well, using IIoT, right? Using digital transformation. We just, uh, 
this morning, actually, we had a meeting with an enterprise client that we're doing an enterprise-wide training program for. Uh, it's, it's based upon our mentorship program and, and our mastermind. Essentially, it's, it's all of our best training packaged into one and, and customized and delivered for the client. But we just reviewed the enterprise solutions training, right? It's, um, it's all about building enterprise class solutions, right? And Walker will tell you that Walker is the instructor in that video. When you're building an enterprise class solution, you've got two needs, right? You've got the corporate needs, but you've also got the business unit needs. And typically what happens is you have the corporate pushing the needs from top down. And when you go to roll it out at the plant layer, then you realize all the, all the extra stuff that the plant needs in order to do their business. And you need to be able to have a method to account for that. That's why you need to remain agile, right? That's why it's an iterative design process. This is why, you know, waterfall methodology won't work when developing enterprise class solutions to be able to get to this fully integrated enterprise system. So, you know, essentially you build out that model on the plant layer and then you can kind of replicate it towards your other replicate it towards your other facilities and then connect them all into an enterprise unified namespace. Here's where you would do executive dashboarding with a single pane of glass. You may want to do machine learning. You're, you're going to want to do machine learning and AI. If you want to stay in business long term, you need to have a method to, to be able to accomplish this. And that's the unified namespace. Where is the value? Where is the value in your business? This is a real question off, off the cuff. Where, where is the value? If any of you guys are manufacturers, what makes your business valuable? Is it, is it your list of customers? Is it some IP? Is it you were the first mover, right? You're the only one who does it, right? If you're a mining company, is it, you know, you have all the, you have, you have a monopoly on all the mines, or if you're a, um, port logistics, liquid bulk transfer company like Vopac, is it, you, you have all the key port locations. You sort of have a, a monopoly on that and you can do logistics around the world you know, who do you work for? What, what is the value of your company? Omar says culture. Luis, your employees, these are good. The value of the company is not just the assets, right? That's typically what the value of an industry 3.0 company was. How many assets do I have, right? How big am I? How many employees do I have? You know, those are all valuable stuff, right? But the new value is in the infrastructure. The new value of your business is in your digital strategy. IP, IP plays into that. You may have a unique digital strategy, but it's, it's having the infrastructure in order to be able to, to iterate and develop new products, develop new services, reduce costs, increase value for your customers be able to transform from an industry 3.0 company to an industry 4.0 company. The value is in your infrastructure. So it's something you need to invest in. It's something, you know, if, if you're not an expert at solutions architects, you know, you should hire one to, to help you architect a solution. So this quick flexibility, right? Mike, how, you know, how do Mike, how do you, how do you remain flexible? What gives you flexibility? How does your company achieve that? Blake <laughs> acquisitions. <laughs> so any, anyone who doesn't know, uh, Blake Moritz, CEO of Rockwell likes to jump in here and yeah, you know, um, if you're, if you're a dying company, you can hide your loss of market share through acquisitions, right? That's a great strategy. I think so they, uh, Rockwell hired, uh, hired. Rockwell bought Plex and they also brought a, a CMMS app, application. I forget the name of it, but yeah, that's, that's another strategy <laughs> products from the floor. Brennan said, what's an example of a non-digital MES clipboard, right? It's, it could be just literally a person looking at the ERP system and then telling, telling the production workers, you know, Hey, here's, here's, here's what you need to run the next week. Right. And then at the end of the week, oh, you only ran X and not Y. Okay. 
let me go update the schedule again. So, you know, that's a non-digital MES. A digital MES would be using, you know, data coming from the ERP, data coming from the edge, right? And 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 algorithms to to do your scheduling, right? In order to in order to do effective scheduling, you need to know what your capacity is, right? This is why OE matters. <laughs> so I hope that answered your question. So yeah, the value of your company is in your infrastructure. It's the digital DNA of your company, you know? Like Tesla, they gave away all their patents, right? They're letting other, here's, here's an example. Tesla has their supercharger network. One might think that, you know, like Rivian's like, hey, you know, we need to build our Rivian adventure network in order to be as valuable as Tesla. The value of Tesla is not in, not in their supercharger network. You wanna know how I know? It's because they're letting other manufacturers use their supercharger network, right? The value is in their ability to reduce costs and, and scale their production faster than anyone else. If you want to be like Tesla, you don't copy Tesla. You understand what Tesla's doing, and then you do your own version of it. Rivian has a good, Rivian has a lot of good going for it, right? I love the R1T. I'd love to get my hands on it, and you know the R1S, the SUV when it comes out. But they need to scale their manufacturing operations, right? They need to get more vehicles out, and that's the true test, and do so profitably. You know, if if I were Rivian, I you know I'm working on a video, and that's why the Rivian example comes to mind is. You know, what does Rivian need to do to become the next Tesla? This is what they need to do, right? They need to build a unified namespace. They need a digital strategy. You know, if I were Rivian, I would, I would use the Tesla. I would use, I would partner with Tesla and I would use their Tesla superchargers and I would connect the, you know, I would make it so that Tesla exposes that information. So me as a Rivian driver, I can, I can find Tesla superchargers and know when I'm charging at a Tesla supercharger and then put Rivian adventure network chargers in areas where Tesla superchargers are not right. You know, and, and save that capital for scaling manufacturing. Mike says, yes, flexibility comes from trust within the company working with edge technology. Smartest people on the smartest people in your factory are the ones who are working on the plant floor. They know all your problems, right? This is why Tesla has no hierarchy, right? You can literally, if you work at Tesla, you can like go straight to the CEO if, if, um, if there's a problem, right? Companies need to have a, companies need to have the right digital strategy, invest in their employees to develop IOT skills. That's, that's why companies are hiring us to do enterprise training, right? You know, a lot of people have joined mentorship as an individual and joined mastermind as an individual looking to, to gain these skills. But the smarter companies that are a few steps ahead are like, hey, I, you know, I, I don't just need this. My whole company needs this. So we have, you know, custom pricing and packages for enterprise training, right? But te Tesla, it's in their DNA, right? So, and we're going to continue on here, here, but, you know, we still got, still got time. Never understood that before. And yes, it does. Thanks. All right, let's pull this back up. So that's that's how you would scale, right? You know, in order to make changes at you know, how do, how do, you know in order to make changes at the new Gigafactory and roll those back to um, Gigafactory One or you know their Fremont factory, they have to have a digital ecosystem that enables them to make changes every three hours. They can they can make changes on their production equipment on on models that are being produced in real time every three hours and. So that's how they are able to iterate so fast. All right, quick, quick. Uh, hope this isn't too boring, but there's we got to cover some key key elements of unified namespace here. And you know, for anyone here watching, this is part of our mastermind program. A uh, little X, you know, not the whole thing. Obviously, I I just broke it out uh, this this slide here. But this is what this is part of what we teach over uh, over in mastermind. There's a whole notebook with you know a bunch of different lectures going in detail on each layer of the stack but here's what you need to know about unified namespace let me zoom in what is a unified namespace first of all it's the structure of your business and all of the events the event is something that happened and when it happened an event could be i ordered it i put a deposit for a model y on the tesla website or an event could be I plugged my I plus I plugged my Tesla 
into a supercharger network or I plugged my Rivian R1T into a supercharger and that event went all the way through the ecosystem, right? It was historized. It was passed through all the, uh, through the unified namespace. So any other consumer of that information that wants to make decisions on it, right? The sales team or the engineering team, Hey, how can we, how do we know where to put superchargers? Who's using them and where are they being used? They're going to be using information of those events to make those decisions, not just, Hey, I think we should put it here. I think we should put it, let's throw a dart. Let's throw, you know, some manufacturers are making decisions by throwing darts at boards and that's not going to be effective. So it's the, it's the structure of your business and it's all the events. It's the single source of truth for all data and information of the business. It's the unified namespace. Where does it live? It lives everywhere, right? It's at the site level. It's at the enterprise level. It's on the, it's on the equipment that goes out the front door, right? Into your customer's hands. A little piece of the unified namespace lives on the edge of customer's equipment, right? In the Tesla example, you know, not, not all of the enterprise data is, is in every Tesla, but some, some of it is right. It's a place where the current state of the business lives. And it's the hub through all, which all the smart things in your business communicate with another, with one another. It's the ecosystem, right? Tesla solar is a perfect example. How does my Tesla solar know when to put energy onto my, onto my power wall. So that way, when I come home, I'm charging off my power wall and not off the grid when it's, you know, peak demand, it's the ecosystem. That's why Tesla's so valuable. You know, <laughs> I know we take, we talk about Tesla a lot, but you know, it's, it's true. Like they're one of the best examples. They are the, you know, on the industry 4.0 maturity scale, they're number one. So when you, when you do a digital transformation maturity assessment and you get your industry 4.0 score, you're being ranked among the same group of 1100 manufacturers with, with Tesla at the lead, right? Followed closely by Amazon. Um, if you guys are interested, Volvo, Volkswagen, um, Volkswagen is, you know, it's, it's the number one behind Tesla as far as the other automakers go. You know, <laughs> we posted a video this week talking about GM and, you know, they're behind, they're behind the curve, you know, so they've got to catch up. So, but they first have to admit they have a problem. <laughs> so, um, it's the hub of which all the smart things in your business communicate with one another. And it's the architectural foundation of your industry 4.0 digital strategy, uh, digital transformation initiative. It's part of your digital strategy. Why do you need a unified namespace scalability, right? Be able to make changes quickly, scale it across the enterprise normalization. We're going to, we're going to talk about data modeling and, and, and tools that you're going to use to do that. But, um, you know, you, you can have structured data and unstructured data right alongside of each other. You need a way to normalize that through your unified namespace time to value. You're not spending all your time doing things that don't create value. Security people ask all the time. I think they, I don't know why, but there seems to be like this overemphasis on security and you know, we've never even taken the time to make a, a full video on it because it doesn't deserve a full video. It's, it's secure by nature, right? It's the same level security. It's secure through edge driven, right? No, no, no inbound open ports to the edge. It's outbound only it's publishing. The connection is instantiated from the edge and it doesn't need any inbound open ports to the edge. So that's how your Tesla vehicle can just communicate out to the Tesla ecosystem rather than, you know, I mean, if they exposed inbound open ports to your vehicle, one, your vehicle could get hacked, but two, they could hack the vehicle and then get into the enterprise network that way. So it's secure by nature and agility, being able to make changes quickly, being able to iterate, you know, you don't need to, you don't need to eat the whole elephant in one bite. You can, you can make small bites and, and make changes along the way. You don't, you don't need to create this big monolith of a system. You can, you can start small and scale. And this is where we get in the valuable stuff. How does it actually work? Smart things in your business communicate with one another via common IOT protocol and leveraging a common, common standard, minimum technical requirements. We'll get into that on the next slide. Data that originates from a smart thing that does not support the minimum technical requirements must be integrated via gateway that converts the protocol and, and the standard the thing does 
to support the protocol and the standard the organization has adopted. The smart things in your organization publish updates to the UNS as they happen to predefine locations within the namespace that is configured when the smart thing is plugged into the infrastructure. So this is like edge driven. You don't need to go to the server to make these changes. You, you know, they happen from the edge, right? You know, imagine if someone working at Rivian, every time they made a vehicle, they needed to go into the master database and, um, and add in that, and add in that vehicle to the network. It, it wouldn't, it wouldn't be able to scale. When the vehicle gets produced, the vehicle adds itself to the network edge driven, right? When, 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 when you get shipped a new phone, you know, the, the cellular connection is edge driven, right? When you, when you join the industry 4.0 community discord, I don't need to go in and give you access. You, 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 from the edge, you, all the nodes in the ecosystem just simply sign up from the edge. Jeff said he's joining mastermind in December. Looking forward to it. Uh, Jeff, we're going to be doing, I haven't announced it yet, but in the, in the coming in the new year, we're actually going to do an accelerator program. Like, a, it's going to be like a 10 week fast track for mastermind. So anyone who, um, has already signed up or anyone who's going to sign up for the new year, we're going to go through from step one through step 10 in 10 weeks, like an accelerated program. So that way you can get caught up, get to get up to speed really quickly. And, um, you know, everyone else knows mastermind. We always do every month we do a new training. So we're still going to continue to do that in 2022, but for anyone who joins, you know, we've already been doing mastermind for a year who anyone who joins now, we wanted to create like a, a cohort, you know, so anyone who joins like before December, um, I mean, excuse me, before January, we're going to do like a, a cohort based class. So if you've already, if you joined, if you've already joined and you started going through some of the modules yourself, you can still participate in that class, but we're essentially, you know, week one, we're going to do module one week two, we're going to do, you know, step two, module two, and then get together and talk about it. Right. So that way you guys are supported along that journey. Cause it's, it's a lot of information, right? This is just scratching the surface. Thanks Cheryl. Um, sorry, I need to remember to breathe. And last but not least, the data and information in the unified namespace is organized like your business. It is the, it's, it is your business. It, it's the most valuable thing actually. Um, yeah, PLC next or Groove Epic would be good hardware to have. You don't actually need the hardware, but it is going to be useful to have, have that. You need interlude music here. I can do a little music. <laughs> All right, let's go on to the UNS. Uh, so what are some of the challenges? Yeah, oh, that's actually kind of loud. What are some of the challenges that you're going to face when you're, when you're building this type of infrastructure, right? So just real recap. Here's your unified namespace. You know, how, how do I get there? UNS challenges. All right. So these are some of the common challenges that would come up. Um, you know, number one, what if my hardware or software doesn't support MQTT? You know, if I'm using Allen Bradley PLCs, you know, one of the most common PLCs, a PLC we still like, but doesn't, you know, for, for business purpose reasons, it doesn't support IIoT protocols natively out of the box, right? It supports lock and key. It supports the connected enterprise, which is not unified namespace. It's, it's the proprietary approach. It's the industry 3.0 approach. But, uh, you know, if I have a information, what if I have SQL data and information in a SQL database, right? SQL is not MQTT. How do I do that? Uh, what if I have other software that connect connects through APIs? Um, what do I do there? Um, or, you know, what if my hardware only publishes data in a specific or a flat format? Um, some of the devices that do support MQTT, sometimes you're limited as far as how, how you can model it. Um, 
like sometimes it's you know it, it, it'll publish all of your raw io sensors but you can't really model the io data by the cards and by the you know in your chassis you can't really model it into stuff that fits the business need so what you know what do i do there um you know or what if i need data from other systems that are not on on the edge um you know it's not standardized not it's what if it's not described you know channel channel one input one digital one you know digital input one or you know digital output one doesn't mean anything to me right so what do i do there and then um what if i need it modeled in a certain way uh, you know as we talked about or what if um i'm trying to use this application doesn't support mqt what do i do there So here's your MQTT broker. Um, you know, in this case, could be could be anyone, but uh, it supports your topic namespace. Right, that's your. Um, so this would be like topic tag, and then there would be like a you know, value, like like say it's ten point five or uh, temperature. Um, Salt Lake City. Probably like, I don't know, 40 degrees here. Okay. Right. So this is, you can create a topic format there. This is unstructured, right? This is just free open, right? You have um, spark plug format, which sort of forces you to go into like uh, group ID, node ID. Uh, so that, you know, that's how we would, we would format those and, you know, to the enterprise area. Right, this would be like um i always get these mixed up but i think it's um group id edge node id device id i think group id device id is like optional or edge node id and op, uh device id are optional but um you know this would be like your spark plug b namespace um, we'll talk about it in the next slide, but you can actually have Sparkplug B namespace alongside your unstructured flat MQTT namespace. So um, you're not locked into using, you know, some <laughs> Eric Barnes that would be like, you know, is your vendor locked, right? You, you, you're forced to use data in a certain way. No, you're not. You can use it both ways. Um, so there's really not, you know, I'm not saying always use Sparkplug B for every use case, but don't not use it because you think that you're forced into using it you're definitely not you're you can use either or and you can have a combination of the, the, the two you know spark plug isn't perfect right there's a lot of things we'd like to see changed mainly when you have this device and you have a bunch of tags like tag one tag two tag n right it, it publishes it in one d data topic and if a subscriber wants to get that information they've got to go through tag one tag two tag n and then pull out that information even if they just want tag n so, you know, the things like that, that can easily be fixed, but so, um, that's your topic namespace. These are your payloads, right? We just said, Hey, in this case, this right here would all be, uh, one payload. Right. All these red tags would be shipped in one D data topic, one payload. Um, you know, that helps with, it helps with, um, overhead, right? It helps, it helps with being lightweight, but um you know those are your payloads you can create custom payloads like this this would be a payload right this tag topic tag 10.8 would be a payload you know the, the payload would be this would be the topic this would be the payload um, pub sub right you have nodes out here like your SCADA publishing information and then you have other you have it also subscribing into information this is a this is your equipment on the ground floor down here publishing information into the topic namespace and you know other applications subscribing to it in a hub and spoke ecosystem uh, architecture. Uh, security, we talked about that. It's inherently secure. Secure the MQTT broker using um, you know common security, right? Lock that down, and everything else is publishing into it. Uh, so you you really only have to secure that one server versus trying to figure out how to make everything else in the enterprise secure. Um, and enterprise class HiveMQ supports clustering. You know, you can have redundancy right out of the box. So that's what your MQTT broker is doing.
what does an edge gateway do in the architecture? Um, you know, a couple months ago, we, we talked a little bit about the IO hub. IO hub is an edge gateway. It's actually a lot more than that. Now, um, they just released IO hub OS open source Linux distribution. So you can, you can use IO hub now as an operating system on the edge. Um, why do we like IO hub supports Docker containers? It's lightweight edge driven report by exception, open architecture. Um, there's other ones that we can use and we'll talk about them on the next slide, but I just want to give them a quick shout out and a quick update about their Linux distribution. Um, but what you're looking for in an edge gateway is something that supports many protocols. Um, right. It could be high bite. High bite supports a lot of different protocols could be uh, litmus. They're really known for having a, an amazing list of drivers and being able to get new drivers out quickly, but it's going to need to support many industrial protocols and dry IOT protocols. So it's converting, you know, Alan Bradley, um, native protocol to your IOT protocol. IO hub would be able to do that. Um, it's converting your Siemens native driver to your IOT protocol. Siemens can also, they have an MQTT block, but you may, you may want to do your modeling in your IO hub, right? You may want to connect other data, standardize and consolidate other information to model and publish from the edge. You can do that using a, an intelligent, smart gateway like IO hub or, or high or litmus or, you know, scores of other ones. Um, you could do it using like Python as well too, but that's not super standardized. You kind of want a platform for solving problems versus, you know, having to make the tool each time you need to solve a problem. Uh, you're going to be able to transform and model data on the edge, taking data, turning it into information, publishing it into the namespace in a lightweight, lightweight format. These are your minimum technical requirements, lightweight, uh, report by exception. Only, only data that changes is, is published, not everything edge driven as opposed to server centric new, new, new nodes can come in and, and announce themselves to the broker without the broker having to be aware of it. Right. So when we install, when, when I, when I spin up, um, my hive MQ cluster, right. And anyone, anyone who's watching this stream on live or after the fact can from, from the edge report themselves to that namespace. So that's edge driven. I don't need to sit there and add all of you guys by hand create scalability. So oh, sorry. Um, open architecture, right? Yep. Yeah, so that's, that's what you're looking for in edge gateway. So what, what is, what is the perfect architecture look like? What is my industrial internet of things ecosystem using a unified namespace? What, what is that going to look like using some products? um, that we talk about all this time on the channel. Some are sponsored, some are not sponsored. So, um, it's not, it's not whether or not these companies sponsor us, but, um, here's what I would do or here's what you, what an option might look like. So unified namespace in the middle, obviously we're going to use MQ hive MQ because we're going to be showing you how to use it here in a second. But, um, uh, also wanted to give them, you know, a huge thank you for sponsoring the channel this month couldn't do it without them. Um, but let's break this down. This dark blue box on the edge, this is your edge gateway. Why, why do, another reason why I want to recommend IO hub is because it's, it has ability to run Docker containers on the edge and it can run on any hardware. It's hardware agnostic. You know, you can run it on Linux distribution. Um, but you know, I can run these, these applications that support Docker like ignition like AWS Greengrass, like Canary, run it on the edge on my IO hub and create, you know, I can pick and choose what I need where, right? You know, you're going to have many of these devices, hundreds or thousands of these edge gateways across your whole enterprise. Um, you know, maybe I want to standardize using Hybyte to model my, my, model my data, model my information, right? I could run Hybyte. Um, now, I don't know if they have a Docker container yet, but if they don't, I'm sure they could, I'm sure they could do that. And I would want to run high on IO hub, right? I could, I could modeling natively in IO hub, but 
let's say I want to do enterprise data modeling and standardize on Hybyte as my enterprise data modeling software, then I can do that, right? And run it on the edge. So I, I have flexibility there. Um, this blue box is going around the MQTT broker because not because you have to go through Hybyte to, to get access to it. You can, you know, you could sort of, you know, sort of have it like this where like these applications over here connect through Hybyte, but maybe some other applications connect natively to the MQTT broker. Um, but just for illustrative purposes, you know, I, I'm using Hybyte to model my information in my um, MQTT broker. Um, if you want to learn more about Hybyte or uh, HiveMQ in detail, they did a really awesome webinar a couple months ago, which I'll leave a link to in, in the description after this video is over. You can go ahead and watch that or I'll put a card in the corner. Um, but other applications that support MQTT and Unified Namespace, Canary, we talked about them um, a couple months ago, right? They will subscribe to your, your, your namespace and receive updates and publish back information. Um, what other layers? State and MES. Maybe I want to use Ignition. Maybe I want to use Frameworks. Maybe I want to use both of them, depending on the application. Um, you know, we've talked about before why you would use Frameworks over Ignition or why you would use Ignition over Frameworks. One of the reasons is um, someone asked in the Discord server the other day, does Frameworks support Docker containers? As far as we know, the answer is no. Um, not that they couldn't, but we would like to see them support Docker containers. Um, fun fact, when we first started working with IO Hub, we're like, hey, we want to run Ignition in a Docker container. And they came out with that feature within like a week and they put it on their documentation. You can run Ignition on IO Hub like that. So that would be a, one reason why you might want to use Ignition to have a standardized edge HMI and central SCADA. Um, and another reason why you might want to use frameworks is like speed and performance built in native.net and blistering fast, right? Uh, frameworks has frameworks has a 500 count canary historian with every license another reason why you might want to use frameworks ignition has um, a faux historian you know a sql based historian but if you're doing any type of oh looks like it froze hold on are you guys there okay good you know if you're doing any type of process historian analysis you need a you need a historian, right? Not just a SQL, SQL tag database, right? So, you know, this would, and then in the cloud, you know, you can use other providers. We like Amazon Web Services the best. Um, you know, comes down to business model, come down to, comes down to connectivity. Um, I was talking with Jeff Winter the other day and he said, you know, he, he just recently took a job with Microsoft and I was like, talk with him, talking about, you know, potentially coming in and doing some Azure training. And, um, you know, he said, Amazon Web Services and Microsoft Azure sort of took different paths, right? AWS went with more of an infrastructure as a service approach, whereas Azure went with more software as a service, um, SaaS or PaaS, platform as a service, right? So Amazon, you can, you can pick and choose the infrastructure you want, whether that's like their S3 Amazon, uh, Amazon storage um, or, you know, Amazon EC2 cloud instances like servers, hardware, um, you know, some, some people might even be running Microsoft software on Amazon's infrastructure. So, um, but if you're just using Azure, it's more like service, you know, you kind of pick and choose the components that you want from, from the Microsoft ecosystem. And then you sort of put that together. So it creates a little bit more flexibility. We will talk about more about AWS and Azure later on. And like I said, if you guys are interested, we can even bring in Azure partners to talk about their Azure cloud. Uh, you know, we talked about AWS cloud in two mastermind sessions this year. Uh, we brought in Michael Brown and we felt like they were really productive. So, right, we're, we're trying to develop full stack fluency, right, from the edge all the way up through, you know, to the cloud. Alan said, would it be possible to add a key for the different colored illustrations on the OneNote version? It may help convey the boundary diagrams. Yeah. So, you know, the reason why I did green, green is always unified namespace or, you know, broker. Um, this dark blue is like your edge, your edge gateway soft, your edge gateway layer. And this light blue, I made it the same color as high bite because it's, 
it's sort of a, a layer that sits in between your clients and your MQTT broker. And then gray is just like other layers, but um, that's a good suggestion, Alan. Alan, for those of you guys that don't know, is um, he works for 4.0 Solutions as a DTMA specialist now. So um, look forward to having having him on the podcast soon. He's going through some training right now and um, working on getting up to speed. But uh, it's awesome to, to be you know part of a growing team here. So shout out to Alan. Couple, uh, a couple other points on your unified namespace management. I, we might have touched on these before, but I just want to go over real quick again before we go into uh, the demo because we're almost running out of time here. But so, like I said, it can be both structured and unstructured data side by side. Um, you want to standardize the modeling of unstructured data into structured data using a tool um, like Hybyte or like IOHub or, um, you know, it could be using Litmus. You want to focus on business uses, right? So putting the information in a way that's useful to your business, right? We talked about not just having it as, you know, this is what my PLC is. My PLC may not directly map into like my business use cases. So you want to focus on business use cases and have consistency and validation of that information. Define the models that can be used over and over again. Use it to define access roles and user accounts. Um, creating snapshots of the unified namespace, right, through digital twin or um, some sort of historian, historical data access like Canary. Um, so yeah. All right, let's let's pull up uh, let's pull up the Hive MQ Cloud bro Broker and uh, let's get started. So if you guys want to do this, uh, I hope I can get it done here in the next ten minutes. This I've actually I haven't done this yet, but uh, I wanted to do it live because. Um, it should be that it should be pretty easy. So all right. So here's HiveMQ. Um now if you guys want to create your own cloud bro broker, go to hivemq.com, click on get HiveMQ. So here's the HiveMQ Cloud, a free cloud MQTD broker that enables you to connect up to 100 devices. You can look at pricing and what it what it costs once you go beyond that. But um, you know, this is sort of get get started using it and then and then scale into scale into it and the other thing to note is you're not locked into using any single cloud provider like because HiveMQ can run on any cloud provider amazon can run it, it can run on your own hardware it can run on azure but you're also not locked into HiveMQ either you can you can connect an emqx broker to a HiveMQ broker so and you know there may be use cases of where you want why you would want to use both but go ahead and click sign now So here's the HiveMQ Cloud Portal. Uh, you can either log in or I'm going to go ahead and click sign up and I'm going to sign up with my Google account because that's going to be the easiest. All right, so I am a consultant with 4.0 Solutions and I'll put my phone number here. There we go. Let's run it on AWS. This is really slick, slick, slick. Yeah, I've actually, I have never done this before. I've set up MQTT brokers before, but I haven't gone through this process to, uh, to set up a Hive MQ cloud broker. So uh, let's go ahead and call this one um, username. Uh, we'll call this Discord. So we'll make, we'll, we'll use this for like prototyping in our Discord and we'll use the password of 4.0 solutions and uh in the comments here we'll do 4.0 solutions like that so that'll be the password 4.0 solutions that's a four and that's a zero all lowercase oh wait no must contain an uppercase all right so we'll make the we'll make the p uppercase 4.0 solutions. P in the S uppercase. 4.0 solutions. 
hopefully this works. Okay. So once you set up the, once you set up the credentials, which one wants to connect to it, um, just, you know, don't connect over a hundred devices at once because then, um, then our, we'll, you know, we will run out, but, uh, you know, I think this would, should, should, should work out pretty well. Um, I'm going to show you guys how to connect to it using, uh, so you can use the command line tool, mqtd.fx, Arduino. Oh, that's pretty sick. Um, you can use the MQ, HiveMQ WebSocket client. Um, let's go ahead and do that. So here's my host name. If you guys want to connect to this broker, I'll put the host name um, down here. Um, also, MQTT is MQTT Explorer is. Uh, let me make it a little bit bigger for you. MQTT Explorer is also another client that you can download for free, and uh, I, I run it on my Mac. And what's that? So here's the HiveMQ uh, WebSocket client. We'll give them five stars. So. Um, if we want to use this HiveMQ web, Hive WebSocket client, I'll open it up in a new tab, but essentially we're going to put in the host name here, port AA4. The client ID um, was Discord, all lowercase, and the password is 4.0 solutions, capital F and 4, capital P and point. And then um, you can name it here. Yeah, let's go ahead and try this. And then you can go ahead and publish. So you can use their little client to publish. Let's go ahead and try it. And if anyone's quicker than me, maybe they'll have already connected to it. But uh, yeah, we'll go ahead and leave this up for you guys. Oh, it looks like it already it already pre-filled in the host name for me. There's the username. Let's put in the password. 4.0 solutions. Client ID. Call myself client ID dash Zach Scriven. Um, put a... Put a actual client id let's let's try to keep it somewhat organized somewhat useful so someone can connect to and see what what's going on there and um let's see connect connected so here's test topic one you could do qs01 or two HiveMQ has a lot of great free resources on on what those mean but um hello world All right, so do we need to subscribe? So if we subscribe to the test topic, let's see if we pull, oh, so QS0 means it's not retained unless there was a subscriber. Now that there's a subscriber, you can see that it's there. So let's put QS2. Do test topic two. X Riven. You can go ahead and play around with this. Um, pretty cool little web socket or web client. A um, lot of other free tools. Uh, let's go back to here. Oh no, shit, you can't see that. All right, let me uh, let me share the right screen here. So about that, stop screen sharing. Screen share this Chrome tab. So here was what that web socket client looked like. Um, sorry about that. This is what it what it looks like when when I clicked establish a connection. It, it already pre filled in. It pre-filled in my host name and I put the client ID here. Um, it pre-filled in the username. I put in the password and I said connect and then we got connected and then you can go ahead and publish different test topics or, you know, you can do enterprise site area line. Say it's running. Go ahead and publish. We'll hit, click retain and then uh, you can sort of add subscription. So um, let's do subscribe to all the enterprise data. Subscribe, which topic, there we go. Enterprise site area lines running. So um, I, I really like the MQTT Explorer um, because you can actually visualize all of the topics in like a tree format. So that's, um, you know, something you can look into, but 
yeah, I'll, I'll put the credentials down below. Um, if you guys have any questions before we wrap it up here, please leave them now. Otherwise, um, don't forget to subscribe and we'll see you guys, um, you know, hopefully on the, in the discord server and we'll play around with this hive MQ cloud broker. Also hive MQ has, um, we do have a, um, there's a hive MQ channel in our, in our discord. So at the very bottom of all the discord channels, there's like a hive MQ discord channel. So I'll put the information to how to connect to that in, in that channel. And, um, yeah, feel free to play around with it or feel free to create your own broker um, and, and create a proof of concept. So awesome. Thanks. Thanks so much for joining guys. And, uh, we'll see you guys in the next one. Peace.